Well, good evening. <clears throat> I invite you to open your Bible to that very passage that Brother Jay just read, and that's the 61st chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 61. There's nothing like the joy and gratitude that we feel when your life has been recovered, when your life has been restored, when your life has been renewed, and when hope has been born in your heart. Many years ago, I served with a mission planting organization while I was going to seminary. We were involved in planting intermission churches. One of the pastors was helping me plant a church in the shadow of the largest Baptist church in Fort Worth. was in a community that was poor and impoverished and, and uh, many uh, people with struggles and difficulties. Brother Roger was a deacon in our church, and he also was attending seminary part-time and was a carpenter, felt the call of God on his life and began to do home Bible studies in an, this neighborhood within a stone's throw of a large Southern Baptist church. There he ministered to many people who had lots of significant problems, began to share the gospel with them, there was one man that began to attend. His name was Jesse and his wife. And she wasn't really his wife at that time. They lived together. They had three children. Both of them were drug users and abusers. Their teeth were rotted out by the drugs and lack of care and hygiene in their own life. And uh, they came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. He transformed their life. They got married. They began to get into the Word. God changed their life and filled them with gladness and joy as He restored their life. Listen, there's nobody beyond the pale of God's grace. He can forgive and cleanse and heal. I remember they wrote a song that they sang in that little house church, and it went like this, I am the apple of His eye. I'm the one He loves to love, and I know that He takes delight in me. And when he looks at me, he sees all that I can be. I'm the apple of his eye. Wow. Well, you know what? It's a beautiful truth. We are loved by the Lord, and he has redeemed us with his outstretched hand. In the first church where I had the opportunity to pastor was a coal miner and his wife, young couple, Ducoin, Illinois. He was an alcoholic, and they had three children. And Carol was as lost as could be. And I remember going to their house on a Saturday to try to witness to him. He had a beer beside him there on his uh, uh, TV stand next to him, a TV tray. And he was eating something, watching a ball game, didn't want to pay any attention, didn't really want to hear the gospel. We tried to talk to him, develop conversation, and then talk to him about this and that and the other. But he was just close to the gospel to the gospel. One of the other guys that went with me on that visiting uh, uh, a outreach prospect visit on a Saturday afternoon stepped into the kitchen. His wife was washing dishes. Her name was Carol. And as he began to talk with her, he says, I, I notice you're all the time cleaning. And she says, I just love to clean. She said, when things are messy or dirty, I love just the, the feeling of watching something dirty become washed and clean. And so uh, he began to talk to her. He says, I know one that can clean you inside out, make a difference in your life. He began to witness to her, and 
Carol Boner there with a dish towel tucked inside of her pants. She prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. In a few days, she witnessed to her mom, said, I want to tell you about this man named Jesus. He's changed my life, and he can give you hope. And Carol's mother, Joanne, gave her life to Christ, was saved. And then she told her dad, and her dad was, he, she said, my dad will never be saved, but the Holy Spirit worked in his heart. and He gave his life to Christ, and he was saved. And, he, and you know what? Before long, old Joe gave his life to Christ, and he was saved. This is what God does. In the 61st chapter of Isaiah, it's one of those great messianic passages of Scripture. It was a prophecy about the coming of the anointed one and what his ministry would look like and mean to all of us and how he would bring real joy to the world and our hearts would be forever transformed by the work of his grace. In verse number one, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, God has come upon me. Hmm. Notice, first of all, the Lord's anointed. The Spirit of God has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me. When he speaks in this first person, who is he speaking of? This is scholars debate who this song is all about. It's one of those other messianic servant songs that we find in Isaiah. And it has that same idea and vibe. It is the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. He has anointed me. This language is very similar to Isaiah chapter number 11. Isaiah chapter number 11, beginning with verse number 1. Listen to Isaiah 11.1. 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is David's father. Remember the house of Jesse in Bethlehem? And notice, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who is this? It's a prophecy predicting the coming of the Messianic One from the branch of David. David would be a king after God's own heart. When the kingdom is taken away from Saul, God says, someone from David's house will sit on his throne forever. And there would be a Messiah, an anointed one. The word Messiah means anointed one. David, through his lineage, would come a Messiah, and the Spirit of the Lord rest on him, and he would usher in with great power a messianic kingdom. In Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2, the shepherds are out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly appears and he says, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For there's been born for you this day. Where? In the city of what? David. A Savior. Who is whom? Christ. Messiah. 
Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord. That's who is coming. That, who, that is who has been born. The one that was prophesied so many hundred years ago by Isaiah was Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are told in Matthew's Gospel that the angel of the Lord tells Joseph, he said, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, Adonai, God in the flesh. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter number 3, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 3, we notice that Jesus, when he launches his, inaugurates his ministry, he comes to the Jordan to be baptized by a relative of his, John the Baptist. And remember how John the Baptist protests and he says, you come to be baptized of me, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, permit this to happen because I'm fulfilling all righteousness. I'm doing the very thing that God the Father wants me to do. And so he is baptized and notice in verse number 15, he says, permitted at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And then after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. Can you imagine? How would you like to see that baptismal service? And he saw the Spirit of God descending, how? As a dove and lighting upon him. Behold a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The anointing, the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Wow. This is my Son whom I'm well pleased. Well, Jesus, after he is baptized, goes into the wilderness. And in the wilderness... He is tempted. He spends that whole, those long days alone in the wilderness, being tempted multiple times by the tempter. And Jesus is victorious. And after those wilderness temptations, he comes back into Galilee and begins to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And he begins to preach in all the towns and synagogues. And he makes his way back to his own hometown. And when he comes to his own hometown, that is Nazareth. And he comes to Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue. And notice in verse number 16 of Luke chapter 4, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he regularly, by the way, Jesus regularly went to the synagogue and worshipped the Lord and heard the word read and expounded upon and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And it was, they gave him the opportunity to read. And he stood up and read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found his place where it's written. The very text we looked at well ago. Now listen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. And to set free those who are downtrodden. And proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. 
and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, (laughs) this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It puts goosebumps on my goosebumps right now. I just sense it and feel it. Today it's fulfilled in your presence. The second thing we notice in this text in Isaiah is the good news message. Notice he says, He's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. It's good tidings of great joy, isn't it? It's hope in a world of brokenness. And this is what exactly what Jesus came to do, to, to preach good news, to preach hope in a world of brokenness. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 4, talking about the preaching of Jesus, in verse number 42, and it says, When day came, he departed and went to a lonely place, and the multitudes were searching for him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. And he said, But I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And he kept on preaching, Where? In the synagogues of Judea, of Israel. Jesus was a preacher, and he preached the gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom. He preached repentance and turning to God with all of your heart. And he preached the good news in a broken world. Folks, God has called us to proclaim the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. It fills the world with joy when the good news of the gospel is preached. Amen. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. Ephesians, chapter number 2. Paul writes in verse number 17. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse number 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away. That's Gentiles. And peace to those who are near. That is Jews. For through him, we both have our access into one spirit to the Father. This is the good news, the peace that comes, that we can have peace with God, that Jesus says we can have peace with one one another, that the barrier walls are broken down, and he's brought us together to be one, and we can have the peace of God ruling in our hearts. This is the gospel that is preached. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for in it the power of God. In it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. In it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it's written. But the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'll tell you, the good news is that you can know God and you can be saved and God would change your life. This is the good news. He's been anointed to preach the good news. It's good news of great joy that will be for all people. Amen? Amen. No one's excluded. 
this good news of great joy. Notice the recipients of this good news. Listen to how Isaiah says it. He says, you sent, he says to bring good news to whom? Who are the recipients of this good news? Verse number one, what's it say? To the what? To the humble, to the afflicted, to the hurting, to the poor. This good news comes to those that are hurting. Are you hurting tonight? Is your soul, is your heart burdened? Do you feel alienated and far from God? There's good news for you tonight. God loves you. And he sent Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Amen. Will you trust him? Will you turn to him? Notice he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You ever needed bound up? When something's wounded, when something's broken, then it needs to be bound up. It needs to be mended. It needs to be healed. He brings healing and he brings restoration. Was Jesus a healer? Oh, yeah, he's the great physician. Is there a balm in Gilead? The heal the sin-sick soul? No, there is. Who is that healer? It's only Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter number 44, is a story about a woman who was brokenhearted. This woman was in Samaria. She was a Samaritan woman in a village named Sychar. Jesus' disciples stop outside of the village at a well, and Jesus is wearied from their journeys as long as, as well as the disciples. That's hard to believe that the Son of God would be weary, but he is also the Son of Man. He knows what it's like to feel the weariness and sorrows that we feel. And there was a woman, she comes out ostracized, she comes alone, not when the other women come. She comes to draw water at the well. She has a terrible reputation. There's brokenness deep in her heart. She's had multiple men living with a man. And Jesus says to her, says, would you give me a drink? And she says, why would you speak to me? You are being a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And he says, if you knew that the one that was speaking to you, I would give you living water. And she says, well, where would you get living water from? All we've got is this well here from our father Jacob. Are you greater than him? You don't even have a vessel to draw it with. How would you give me living water? He says, are you greater than Jacob? And he says, the water I give you. If I give it to you, you'll never, ever thirst again. She said, well, please give me some of that water because I get thirsty. And I wouldn't have to come out here and draw this water. Jesus knew that she was thirsty for living water. He said, he confronts her. He said, why don't you call your husband and have him come with you? And she said, I have no husband. He said, well, you said that right. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not yours. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. He tells her that salvation will come from the Jews, and that he, 
Then she says, well, I know there's a difference between the way we worship and the way you Jews worship. He said, salvation comes from the Jews. She says, well, I know when the Messiah comes, he will teach us all things. And he said, I am the Messiah. Wow. <laughs> she is so radically changed, she runs into the village and says, come meet a man who knew everything about me. And the whole village came out to see him. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe there's sin in your past that you're so ashamed of. Jesus came to heal you and to liberate you and to set you free. Amen? Amen. He came to bind the broken. In the eighth chapter of John, there was another broken one. They'd haul out a woman in front of Jesus to test him. They said, this woman, we caught her right in the very act of adultery. Eighth chapter, John. And they said, Moses says, according to the law, that she needs to be stoned to death. I always wonder where the husband's at, right? Or the man. And they stand her right in the midst, making a spectacle, condemning her there. And Jesus stoops down. And he begins to write in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. But he began to write in the sand. And then Jesus said, he without sin, let him cast the first stone. I just wonder if he didn't just begin to write the Decalogue out. And the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave until there were no longer anyone there but her and the woman. After he had started writing that second time, they all left. And he said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Are there none that condemn? Where are your accusers? And she said, There's none, Lord. He said, Neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. But listen to me. Go. And sin no more. What was he doing? Binding the brokenhearted. Are you far, far away from him? Are you broken by secret sin and guilt and shame in your own heart? Maybe you feel condemned by the religious culture. Maybe you feel condemned because of your own failures. Maybe you feel condemned by the gnawing nagging voices in your own heart and mind and the condemning voice of Satan himself. But Christ came to bind and to heal the brokenhearted. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. Not only that, to set liberty at liberty those who are captive. He felt captive Jesus came to set the captives free. In Luke's gospel, chapter number 8, there's an interesting story. You know about it. It's found in multiple gospels. It's about the region of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes near Gadara, which is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, near a Gentile area of the Sea of Galilee. And there in Gadara, there was this, uh, there was this 
demoniac, this man who was possessed with evil spirits. He was, he was wild. He was uncontrollable. He was incorrigible. He would, he would cut himself. He'd lash out at himself and rip his clothes off of him. They'd bind him with chains and he'd break them. And he ran crazy through town. They, he was ostracized from everyone. And he lived among the tombs. And when Jesus arrived in the region, he comes running to him, naked, screaming, yelling out, don't torture me. Jesus looked at the man with eyes of compassion and with real power. And he saw a man captive. And he looked at him and he said, what is your name? And he said, my name's Legion because there's many of us in here. They knew that they were in the presence of authority. And they asked that they could be cast into some swine. There was some swine on this hillside. Cast those evil spirits. The swine drowned themselves. And when people from the village came out, the herdsmen reported it. When people in the village came out, they saw that man clothed. <laughs> and awesome. Sitting at the feet of the Savior, learning and transformed. He can set the captives free. Amen? He sets a prisoner free. There was a woman. She had been plagued for 12 long years with an issue of blood, holding her captive, no longer, not able to go to the synagogue to worship. She was considered to be unclean, this nonstop issue hemorrhage that she had. And she had suffered at the hands of many doctors. And she was held captive. She thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I'd be healed. There was a large crowd of people pressing in all around him. And she reached out and she touched him. And immediately there was healing. He felt it come out of him. He turned and he said to her, he confronted her. And he said, Go in courage. Your faith has saved you, made you whole. Wow. He sets captives free. Amen. He's still setting captives free. Maybe you feel hopeless in your life that you're held captive. He can set you free. He not only sets those who held captive in oppression, but he sets prisoners free as well. Oh, there are people held in prison by fears, held in prison by, by lust, held in prison by sin, held in prison by addiction, held in prison by greed. In the town of Jericho was a little guy who was a tax collector, compromised, worked for Rome, but also was a Jew. He was part of the lost Sheep of the house of Israel. And as the parade of people come in celebrating, blind Bartimaeus now, now has received his sight. There, everybody's rejoicing as he enters into Jericho. And there, uh, climbed up and shinnied up into a sycamore tree was this short little guy named Zacchaeus. Y'all are singing the song right now. 
It's a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he stopped right underneath that tree, looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Because I've got to go to your house today. <laughs> because there's one of my children in captivity that needs to be set free. And Zacchaeus is transformed from greed to becoming a son of Abraham. Amen. That's what God does. He sets you free. Are you feel addictive? Addicted? Do you feel that fleshly sins, sins of selfishness, sins of insecurity, sins of unforgiveness, sins of lust and grief have a hold of your heart and you're so captive you wonder, how could I ever be set free? There is one who came to set captives free and his name is Jesus. Amen? I love how Paul describes some of the makeup of the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, Paul reminds them about these truths. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? There's no compromise when it comes to God's grace. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But I'm glad it doesn't stop there. But such were some of you. <laughs> but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God, He sets captives free. I don't know what sin has its hooks in you. I don't know how bound up you feel imprisoned by sin. There is one who can set you free, and His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Notice what it says in Isaiah. Freedom to the prisoners and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What is the favorable year of the Lord? It's the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was awesome because if you were in debt, that debt was eliminated. If you were sold into slavery, you were now declared free and out of slavery. If, you're, if you had bankrupted your inheritance now that your inheritance came back to you and you had a standing again as a part of the nation of Israel and that's what Jesus came to do it's a year of jubilee it's the favorable year of the Lord where captives are set free and can know the grace and the favor of the Lord but the day of the Lord is not just setting captives free but it's also Meeting out justice. And verse number two says, In the day of vengeance of our God, 
part of our comfort is to know that injustices will be made right. That rights that were ignored and wrongs that were done, that Jesus will make it all right. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Listen, when God comes, he's going to set this thing right. There's a lot of injustice in this world. And sometimes we get mad and all balled up and say, but that just isn't right. This is just so unjust. Can you know, there is one who sits on the throne who sees it for just as it is. And he will set it all right when he comes. Amen? Doesn't that give you comfort? Amen. And notice what he says. And he gives comfort to those who are mourning. To comfort all who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Because they shall be comforted. This means a lot to me today. Many of you prayed for me this week. And my family. My mother-in-law's funeral was this week. I never ever thought that I would preach my own mother-in-law's funeral. It was hard. It's hard yet today. We grieve, but not like those without hope. But we grieve. Ruth and Don were both exposed to COVID-19, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, on the same day. A few days later, they both began to get sick. My father-in-law, who was very weak, compared to her, she was strong as an ox. I don't mean that in derogatory. She was strong, healthy, mentally sharp. Middle 80s. But COVID settled into her lung and destroyed her lungs. She was in the hospital We couldn't see her, isolated from all of us for over 30 days. We could not get to her. We could not see her. We could not hold her hand. I'm telling you, we'll look back someday at the way we've treated this thing, and we'll say that wasn't right, what we did to families during this COVID. It was hard on her. She'd never been in the hospital ever in her life except to give birth to a baby. And it was hard on him. It was hard on all of us. And she struggled to get every breath, fighting to live and wanting to live. And one morning in the last week of her life, she said, On the phone, she told this to Don, and then she told it to my wife, Christy. She said, it was about 1.30 in the morning, and I woke up, and I'd been so fearful about anxious and worried. And she said, there was no noise in the whole room except for a few machines, and nobody disturbed me. It was just as if he sat on the bed next to me.
And he said to Ruth, and I said, Lord, I'm with you. I've got you. You're worried about many, many things. I'll take care of you. And she said an overwhelming rush and sense that God was with me and he'd take care of me. Amen. It worked out that we could see her just before she passed on Thursday. She died on Friday, but on Thursday they let the family go up and see her. They knew that there was no hope and that she would soon die. They moved her to a regular room so that we could see her. When we went into the room, Don wheeled in beside her. And he sat on his walker in the wheelchair next to her. And he held her hand. And she squeezed his and patted his hand. And she said, it's going to be okay. Don, he said, I love you so much. He told her all the things she meant to him. And she said, I wanted to live long enough to take care of you because I knew you needed me. But I won't be here. (laughs) We talked for a long while. I shared some scripture, read scripture. We prayed together. And one of the girls said, Mom, what song? What's one of your favorite songs? And she said, in the presence of Jehovah. It's a Brooklyn Tabernacle song. You're familiar with it, maybe. I want to read some of the words to you today. And so Christy and Erica, I tried, but I couldn't sing. I couldn't sing without crying. I can't sing crying. But they sang these words. In and out of situations, a tug of war at me. All day long I struggle for answers that I need. But then I come into his presence, and all my questions become clear. And for that sacred moment, no doubts can interfere in the presence of Jehovah. God Almighty, Prince of Peace. Troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the King. And on Friday, she passed out of this life as we gathered around her bed. And in those last minutes, of her gasping and dying. We sang these words. Through his love, the Lord provided a place of rest for us, a place to find the answers in the hours of distress. Now there's never any reason for you to give up in despair. Just slip away. And breathe his name, he will surely meet you there in the presence of Jehovah.
God Almighty, Prince of Peace. Troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the King. My friends, this is true. He came for the morning. And he gives, you grief. he gives you comfort in your grief. Amen? Well, that's not all Isaiah said. He said also, I want you to know he gives you wonderful gifts. In verse number 3, to grant to give to those who mourn in Zion, giving them what? A garland instead of ashes. Beautiful headdress. Not ashes. Ashes is something you put when you're in distress. Ashes is something you put on your head when you're repenting. Ashes on you whenever you're grieving. But a headdress is when you're filled with festivity. He says, your mourning and grieving now will be joy. Amen? That's the gift I give you. And he says, he will give them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning. The oil of gladness. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Wow. He blesses you. He gives you. Notice what else he gives you. A mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, of heaviness. In this COVID epidemic, there's a spirit of heaviness, of grief, of anxiety, and sorrow. But praise God this Christmas season, one of the gifts of the Messiah is a mantle of praise. In the midst of our uncertainty, we can lift our voices in praise to Almighty God. Amen? And he meets us there. He strengthens us there. He helps us there. Amen? Amen. Finally, he gives you a new name. He gives you a wonderful, beautiful name. He said, you're going to be called this, Oaks of Righteousness. He said, you are going to be planted like an oak and you will stand strong in the storms of life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the pathway of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he doth meditate both day and night, and he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. But not so the wicked. But you know what? The Lord knows the way of the right. But the way of the wicked, they perish. The Lord plants you. 
This is what Jesus came to do. To plant you and to make you an oak of righteousness. Now here's the good news. But as many as received him, him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted him? Do you know the Savior as your Lord? Amen. Questions to consider tonight. Do you feel broken? Do you? There's one who can heal you. Do you feel oppressed? There's one who can set you free. Do you feel isolated? Do you feel mistreated? Unjustly hurt. Is your heart grieving? Christmas joy can be yours today if you give your life to Christ and repent of your sin and receive him as Savior and Lord. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives today. We need you. Thank you for this great truth. Thank you for the great prophecy. And thank you that it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.